You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. What an awesome morning already with our team, with the worship. Uh, Thank you guys so much for that. You know, it's almost a little bit weird as we're celebrating Christmas. It feels, you know, I know it's only a week away or six days away, but it feels early to be uh, celebrating it, but we're excited to celebrate today. I think there's still some worship in the background. I'm sorry, I just got to say it's driving me crazy. There we go. <laughs> and then we're going to the dark. It's all right. It's <laughs> you got to love technical difficulties. This morning's been a full of a few of them. The internet decided not to work. We all know how that goes when that happens. Um, but thank you guys so much. So if you're watching online, we're glad you're joining us that way. Um, And really, we're here to celebrate why Jesus came. And so, you know, as I've been uh, just kind of in this season, the last month and a half, as we've we've talked a lot about some incredible stuff, really since July and June, we started a series that I really was picturing that would lead to this place, um, and really just talking about why Jesus came. And that is the point of remembering Christmas Day. It's the point of Jesus uh, celebrating his birth on Christmas, it's to remember why did he actually come. And so we're going to read some scriptures this morning, and I, I, I hope that we can kind of, you know, sometimes I think like Justin said when he first came up, it's easy to get into a season like this and just kind of do what we've always done without always thinking through it, right? We do the same decorations, we have the same traditions, and they're wonderful and we love kind of the routine of tradition, but also sometimes we can just kind of shut our brain and our heart off in the midst of it, and yet we need to remember why do we celebrate this season so deeply. And so I wanted to start really with John 10.10, and it's Jesus saying why he came. And so if you got your Bibles, you can open up with me, or they're going to probably be on the screen behind me, but John 10 is really a a chapter where Jesus is kind of sharing this parable and comparing you know him and the father to being a good shepherd and what it means to be sheep and following a shepherd and he talks about this kind of idea but he comes to John 10:10 10, 10, and he's talking about how the sheep won't listen to you know the thieves and the robbers and he says this the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life that's the NLT but in the ESV I love it that he actually says it this way I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus' words, I came that they may have life and life abundantly. You know, Jesus didn't just come, born as a baby, in a manger, live 30 years with his family that we don't really see lots into, and then three and a half years of his ministry, dies on the cross. He didn't just come for flippant purposes. And I love that when Jesus kind of boils things down to some of the most important stuff, he says it simply, I came that they may have life and life abundantly. When he says it this way, it means life overflowing. Life beyond just normal status quo. Life that's actually fulfilling and purposeful and feels like it's actually coming out of us. And I love in John 4, Jesus kind of, you know, meets with this woman at a well. We know that story, and he's asking for a drink of water, and then he kind of turns into this spiritual 
uh, encounter with this woman where he says, listen, if you knew who I was, you'd ask for a water that you'd never be thirsty again. And he talks about this eternal life, this water that should flow out of us, that should fill us and then come out of us. It's the same type language when he says, I came to give life and life abundantly. And listen, I think if we want to evaluate right now, most of us would say, I'm not sure I have life overflowing. Sometimes it feels like we just have barely enough life to get by through the day, right? It feels like we're just kind of making it through or just kind of going from one day to the next and we're just trying to survive rather than realizing that Jesus came to give us life and life overflowing. And this is an extremely important thing because I think too often in Christianity, or really from the perspective of the world even looking at Christianity, it feels like it's supposed to just be about some religious notion or some religious function. But yet what Jesus came to accomplish was not to set up a new religion, but to give us life and life overflowing. Luke 19, 1 through 10, I want to jump there next. Another moment where Jesus talks about why he came. We've got this story of Zacchaeus. And if you don't know the story of Zacchaeus, I'll just tell you real quick. Zacchaeus uh, was basically a tax collector, and uh, he, he had heard Jesus was coming to town, and so he came because all the crowds wanted to come and see Jesus. He was really famous, honestly, at the time, uh, somewhat infamous in a way as well to the religious people. But they all wanted to see this man who was, you know, you know, creating miracles in people who was, you know, they were hearing about the feeding of the 5,000. So Zacchaeus comes, and, and the crowds are so huge that he climbs a tree, and he's just watching. He just wants to see. And Jesus somehow notices Zacchaeus up in this tree watching him and basically invites himself over for dinner, which I appreciate. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm going to have dinner with you tonight, which was really this kind of huge deal because Zacchaeus was not someone who was liked by really anybody. <laughs> he was a tax collector. And I know we don't love tax collectors today, but they really didn't like tax collectors then. And so Zacchaeus comes down, and they have dinner together, and this whole thing takes place. But in verse 9 and 10, Jesus says this. Jesus responded because Zacchaeus... So it's really incredible story, actually. I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' house, and before Jesus even says anything really important to, to Zacchaeus, it says, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, he probably shouldn't have said if I, when I cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. I, I love this story for a couple of reasons. You know, Jesus didn't go to Zacchaeus' house to confront him about his cheating. He didn't go to his house to have dinner to make sure he knew he was a sinner. He didn't go to his house to make sure that he remembered how despised tax collectors were. He meets Zacchaeus, and instead of, you know, what we do sometimes is think we need to point out people's problems immediately, we're like, hey, welcome to church. You should stop doing that. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is doing here. But what's incredible is Zacchaeus somehow just in the meeting of Jesus realizes 
I need to be different. I need to change. I've done some things that I shouldn't have done, and I'm going to pay them back four times as much. I love this. Jesus doesn't have to confront him. But I think the Holy Spirit probably did some work in Zacchaeus before Jesus even got there. And so Zacchaeus comes in, and they have this meal, and Jesus says to him, Jesus responds because he, he basically has this repentant attitude immediately. And in verse 9, Jesus says, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. And then he, he says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Sometimes Jesus spoke in the third person. I always find that interesting. It's like he's still trying to allude to the idea that maybe he wasn't the Messiah. But every, at that time, honestly, a lot of them should have known that he was. So he calls himself the Son of Man, but he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. So I want to turn now to some parables. Now this is kind of the thought I want to land on today. This idea that Jesus came here for a very specific purpose. And I can tell you up front, the purpose was not to start Christianity. You want to know what's even crazier? And this might just really offend you, and I'm going to do it purposely if you're, if you're a Christian. He didn't come here to write the Bible. Or else he would have sat down and did it. Now, the Scripture is unbelievably important, and we should hold it in the highest esteem, and it is what God has given us to help us understand what it looks like to live a Christian life. But it's not what he came to do. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And Jesus even tries to explain this to the religious leaders of the day because they had the same frustrations with Jesus. He was this Jewish, kind of looked at as a rabbi, even though he wasn't officially one, this teacher of their day, and they were frustrated because he didn't fit into this confines of what it meant to be a good Jewish religious person. And so Jesus comes to try and explain to them over and over why he's actually here. You know, they had all these ideas of why the Messiah was going to show up. Even since all the, the days of Isaiah, and we quoted so much Isaiah in our singing today, about kind of the Christmas verses, about him, you know, this Savior coming, a, a Savior being born, and being called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so they had all these prophetic words in their scriptures that they knew this Savior was coming, but in their mind, he was coming for certain reasons that they wanted him to come. Doesn't that sound like us in our lives today? Because 90% of people come to Jesus because they need something from him. It starts at the earliest of ages when you're in school and you didn't study for a test. And you're like, Jesus... If you're real, I'll do anything if I can just get through this moment. And then we kind of carry that on through life. The circumstances change, but we feel like there's this bargaining thing with God, this bargaining thing with Jesus, and we're always trying to get this thing because really when we look at a Messiah or a Savior or why Jesus came, we think it was really for the purposes we wanted him to come rather than the purposes that he really came for. And the Jews did the same thing. We do the same thing. 
And so on Christmas in this season, for me, I want to be so deeply reminded he came for some very specific purposes. And I think one of the biggest ones is this wording that he says, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And so in Luke, he tries to explain it even more in these three parables. And we're going to read them all this morning. Luke 15, it starts this way. Chapter chapter 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I love that. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was even associating with such sinful people. Even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it on home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Let's think about this for a minute. Maybe you're listening in this room and you don't like the word sinner. Maybe you're watching online and you don't like the word sinner. Listen, I've, I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million more. Sin simply is us not living the design God created us to live. It's missing the mark of our design. So anything we do outside of the design that God has for us is sin. It's simple for us to admit we do that. We do things we don't want to do. We act in ways we don't want to act. Sin isn't just a list of, you know, the, the normal things we think are bad. Don't drink. Don't swear. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's simply living outside of our design. And so when Jesus is using this, he's talking in that way. But he says, there's more joy in heaven over one person who realizes their design is broken coming back home than over 99 who are already here. And I I like part of this story. It actually says this. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one? If you're a Christian in here this morning, if you're a Christian online, if you're watching, you're the 99 others. And it says that he'll leave them in the wilderness. You know, that's actually a strange expression for a shepherd to make. Because in the wilderness, these sheep were no longer protected. You see, the sheep were protected in a pen. Every night they would come back in, they'd be in their fenced area. And actually in that John 10 where Jesus describes what he is as a shepherd, he talks about being the gate. It was actually a practice of a shepherd because, you know, it was usually just some sort of stoned-in little area. And they would leave a section open so that a sheep could come in and out. But at night they didn't want the sheep to leave. So in order to block them from leaving, the shepherd would lay down in the gate area. He would literally be the gate. And so for this same shepherd to then say, well, I'll leave these 99 wandering in the wilderness because I need to rescue the one is honestly, it's almost an extreme action. It's like, wait a second, you're going to risk these 99 to save this one? And it's supposed to show a perspective of how deeply God wants to get that one. 
of how much his heart is for those who are lost or someone who isn't living the design they were created to live. So Jesus goes on to share another story, a parable. He says, verse 8, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is a joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. You know, we read this story and we're like, yeah, yeah, the lost coin. Let's just put it in a little bit closer terms to us today. Can we do that? Let's imagine this is the parable of the lost cell phone. All of you are now touching for your cell phones. Where's my phone? Do you know, one of the, uh, there's a statistic out there that says we touch our phones 25,000 times a day. That almost no more than three to five seconds goes by that a person doesn't go to make sure their phone is either in their pocket, in their purse, on the stand. We are constantly looking for that thing. And so let's just put this in the, 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 the terms of today. Have you ever noticed, where's my phone? And you, you freak out. You're like, wait a second. Where's my phone? I just put it down here a second ago. My, usually my first response when I can't find my phone is, Isaac? <laughs> Emma, where's my phone? They're usually under the bed playing something on it, hiding away. But how frantic do we get at times when we lose our phone? Literally what happens? We stop everything else. We don't think, yeah, I'll find it tomorrow. I'm sure it's okay. Immediately we're like, hey, can you call my phone? Hey, can you call my phone? Make sure it rings. Wait, keep it ringing. I hear it buzzing somewhere. And we're looking all over the place for it. It's stuffed down in between the cushions of the couch. Oh, I found it. This is the, this is the feeling he's trying to get these religious leaders to understand. When something of value of, of yours gets lost, how do you act? How do you look for that thing? This is what God's heart is for people. And then he takes it a much further step into the parable of, now a lot of people's Bibles here might say the lost son or the prodigal son. I actually crossed it out in my Bible because that's not part of the Bible, just so you know. It's just titles put in there. I put the story of the two sons. Because actually it's really a story about two sons and a father. And I've preached on this many times, but I kind of want to remind us because Jesus kind of culminates this whole idea of seeking and saving the lost and how important lost things are to us with this story about two lost sons. And so as we're going to read it, verse 11. To illustrate the point even further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Let's stop there for a second. This is immediately a strange story to the listeners. Maybe not so much to us because 
some of us that have been in church our whole lives, we've heard this story. But to them, this is a strange story because a, a, a son would not request his inheritance before his father died. If he did want his inheritance before his father died, it's as if he was saying to his father, I wish you were dead. So there was something broken in this relationship here where the son didn't care what his father felt and just wanted what he could get from him. And what's crazy in the story is the father agrees. Now to the listeners of the day, they, would, they were already thinking this would never happen. Because that's not what takes place. If a son becomes estranged from his father in that culture, the father disowns the son. Not the other way around. But yet this father agrees and it says he split his inheritance among, between his two sons. we got to remember that part of the story. And we see, you know, the one goes off. And that's where prodigal, that word prodigal son, the word prodigal just means recklessly spent. It means spent without any plan, without any, you know, real thinking of the consequences of the spending. Just recklessly spending it. And this son recklessly spends everything he has. And now he's out feeding pigs in a field and he's realizing he's starving. He's realizing how horrible of an error he made. We pick up again in verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home. So he's now thinking back to his father. At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But please take me as a hired servant. So he makes this plan to go back and kind of pitch to his father. Just, just don't let me die. <laughs> I know I've screwed this up so bad. I know I've made so many mistakes. But listen, I don't even want this status of your son. But please, just maybe just help me survive. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, I love this, his father saw him. His father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, put the finest robe in the house and put on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now he is found, so the party began. This is such a picture, not just of, of us being lost and coming back to God, but the response of a father towards a son. I love this. It says, as he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. How come, for some reason, so many people get it in their head that they need to get right with their life first, and then they can come to church. Yet God, in this picture, this father, it says while he was a long way off, he wasn't there. He was, he was still a distance away from him. And I love this picture because God is looking a long way off for people who are far from him. You can be sitting in these seats, you can be watching online, and you can feel so far from God, but I'm telling you, his eyes see you this morning. And just like the father in this story, 
He's getting up and he's trying to run to you. Now, sometimes we turn around and run the other way. You know, in my life, about 20 years ago now, I tried to run from God very hard. And I literally did. It was a purposeful decision in my life. Some things had happened where I began to believe that God was not good. He was terrible. I didn't think he didn't exist. I just didn't like him. Too many bad things had happened in my life that I thought, well, geez, if you're good, you're not really good. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And so I chose. I'm going to walk away from him. And I was running from him in so many ways. And many of you know my story, but it ended with a moment where I literally was at the, the worst place of my life that I wanted to commit suicide. And in that very moment, literally in that very moment, I got a message. Long story, but the message said this, run, run, run away from me, and you'll end up running right into me. I love that somehow even we can try to run from the Father, but he's probably a little faster than we are. But you see, the listener of this story in that day would say, this, this can't be true because a father would not act this way in that day. A father would not be looking from his porch for his lost son. He would have long disowned him and forgotten and said, I don't have another son. But yet he's watching. He's looking for the opportunity. It's almost like he must have been paying attention to that silhouette. You know how when you know someone really well, even before you can tell their face, you can tell it's them coming? That's what this is like. Jesus, the Father, knows us so well. He can see us even just when we're a silhouette, when we maybe are just having the notion about coming back home. And I'm telling you, this region, this town, our families, our coworkers, they're just people who are thinking about coming back home. They might not even know what home is. They might not know that there's a Father in heaven who loves them so desperately, he's watching and waiting for them. But yet the Father, it says he runs to him. And don't we act like this too? We have this prepared speech for God. We're like, listen, we know we screwed up. We know we did this wrong, but listen, if, if you just barely take care of me, then, then I'll change, then I'll, I'll serve you, then I'll just be your servant. Yeah, I love that the Father literally doesn't even hear it. It's like he doesn't actually, he pretends he doesn't hear what his son says. And he just says, quick, get the finest robe. Get a ring for his finger, get sandals for his feet. And I could go into this, but those things were huge symbolizations of him becoming a son again. The robe literally was the mantle of what that father would have carried in the house. The ring signified he belonged to the family. Actually, the minute that that ring went back on his finger, what it meant was his inheritance was restored. So even though he had wasted his whole inheritance, God somehow redeems it and gives it back to him immediately. The father says, it doesn't matter, here's another inheritance. And I'm going to signify it to the whole world watching that you are now my son again. This is how God looks at every human being. Every person on the planet earth is this son that he's waiting for, watching for. This is the heart of God. This is why Jesus came. 
to seek and save that which was lost. It says, for this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. We're going to go on and read. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fat calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slayed for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, this is an interesting thought. You see, the brother had decided he was no longer his brother. And in his own frustration and honestly misplaced righteous thinking, he disowns his father by saying, this son of yours. He's disassociating. And don't we do this even as religious people sometimes? We think that we get our lives right and we act right and we do all the right things. And we just want to go around judging the world and what they look like and how they make bad choices. Yet what's incredible about this story is that the father is trying to redeem relationship with both of them. No matter what side you find yourself on in the story, because we're on one side or the other, God is redeeming his family in this story. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So Jesus is telling these stories to a group of religious leaders who are basically angry with him because they can't understand why he's acting this way. Why he's eating with people who aren't actually living the right kind of life. Why he's there and he's trying to explain to them that he came to seek and save the lost. He's trying to get them to understand the value of how he looks at people. You know, I've read these stories so many times and and they've always impacted me and 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 honestly it's like there's this understanding at least this surface understanding of like wow God loves us a lot. But I'll be honest, I don't think I really understood what this felt like until I lost one of my own children. Um and I'll, I'm going to tell you the story because basically I think it was about 5 years ago, 6 years ago, the first time that I lost Mara. <laughs> And many of you know we have a, a special needs daughter. She's, she's going to be 13 now. And she was kind of an escape artist. She would always try to leave. We had to have deadbolts backwards in our house, alarms on every door and window. Well, one day we were at church, and she, she has a social worker that had taken her home. And I remember right after church was ending, I got a call from this, this lady who was with Mara, and she said, I can't find Mara. And I said, what do you mean you can't find Mara? And she said, I don't know, she was in the house, I was going to the bathroom, we were getting ready to go out. I heard the door swing, but I can't find her. And I was like, okay. You know, so you start worrying. Now, because Mara at that time really was nearly completely nonverbal, but she still really wouldn't talk to you, she wouldn't answer you. You could, you could call her name all day long. She's not going to go, oh, here I am. And so 
we start to drive across town to where she is, and I, the anxiety just ramps up. Both Jess and I start freaking out. And as we get there, I realize it's been probably 15 minutes or so. She's already been gone 15 minutes. We don't know where she is. So what do I do? I immediately start calling my friends. I think the first people I called was John and Elaine Kessner. <laughs> Come help me find the, my daughter. I'm going to cry telling you a story because it was so dramatic. I became frantic. We called the police after about 25 minutes. I had called a bunch of friends. We are now roaming the streets. We're looking up and down. I'm driving up. It was all down uh, across town in that neighborhood. We're up and down the streets, and we're looking for her. We know she won't answer us, but we're looking. About 40, 45 minutes have gone by, and I'm telling you, at this point, I've lost my mind. I'm convinced she's gone. I'm convinced someone's now stolen her, taken her, done something horrible. I'm freaking out. And the police, they're trying, you know, they're asking us questions. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're saying. I'm just trying to find my daughter. And I was freaking out. I mean, I'm literally, we're just, we're now, I'm going up and down the streets. We're, we're screaming for her. We can't find her. I, I can't even describe to you the feeling that I had looking for her that day. And I remember what happened was my wife ends up calling. She says, I found her. And, and the story was this. Just like two houses down from our friend's house, she had gone out. She heard some dogs inside and went in this neighbor's house. But no one was home. So for nearly an hour, she was playing in this person's house with their dogs. Now, we had gone by that house probably a hundred times yelling her name, but she wouldn't answer us. Don't we act like this? You know, who, you know who you are in this story? You're Mara. I'm Mara in this story. And we do the same thing to God. We, do, we go about life just the way we want it to be. We get interested in something silly like dogs in a house. And people are shouting our name, trying to rescue us, but we don't even know that we're actually lost. We don't know that there's a whole world out there that actually is looking and desperate to rescue you. Because really, she can't, she, at that time, she could not have survived on her own forever. She didn't understand what to do with life. She just was like, dogs, I like dogs. And I remember we got her back, and we had put her in the car, and the police came, and they were like, hey, you know, we really need to talk to your daughter. I'm like, you don't understand. She doesn't understand what you're saying. She can't have a conversation with you. I said, we can try to talk to her all day, but... This is just simply something that we have to be careful with. And it was the first time that it was that long. And it's happened a couple times after that, honestly. But I remember reading this story sometime after that story, uh, after that situation in my life, and it hit me how important something lost actually was. For the first time, I grasped with real emotion what it was like to lose something I loved so deeply, nothing else mattered. But somehow in Christianity, you know what we've done? We're like, eh, the sheep can wait. The lost coin, that can wait. You know what we really need to get down is our doctrine. Let's just debate for a little while. Imagine if in the midst of me looking for my daughter, someone wanted to come and say, hey, I know that uh, you're looking for your daughter, but really I got I to gotta explain to you how you've disobeyed the law in this situation. You see, you let your daughter out of your sight. 
and you should have done this, and you maybe you should have done that, and you should have acted this way. You want to know how I would have reacted in that moment? Not nicely. Because in that moment, there was only one thing that mattered to me, my daughter, looking for her, rescuing her. This is the heart of God for the world. Yet somehow we've gotten it all mixed up and, and almost lowered that this idea that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost down to the end. We're like, yeah, I guess that's important, you know, lost people and people need to know Jesus. That's okay, but really what we should do is make sure that the songs we sing are doctrinally correct. You know, what we really need to do is just make sure that, you know, we're, we're living exactly the way I'm supposed to live. And I'm just going to focus on me here because, you know, i got to make sure that my life is just right. And, you know, I don't want to be judged by anybody. I don't want to be judged by God wrong. And we literally forgotten that the most valuable thing in the world is lost, other people. And I think that some, I think in some ways Jesus is probably like a frantic father. I mean, the father is like a frantic father, really. And he's looking at the world for a long time now. And he's so frantic that he says, son, you got to go down there and find them. Because that was the first thing I did. I was like, i got to call people who are going to help me. i got to call people who are going to help find my daughter. And I think the father, after quite a few thousand years of watching humanity make some horrible mistakes, he says, Jesus... You got to go find your brothers and sisters. Because that's what we are. Romans 8 teaches us that we're adopted sons and daughters of God. And so, God, this heavenly Father who so desperately loves us and wants us to be rescued back home with Him, sends His Son for this very purpose to live like us, to show us what His Father was like, to show us what it would mean to be redeemed, to show us how we could have a different mindset and a different direction and see a different life fulfilled. But sometimes we're a little like Mara, we live in our own world. We like what we like. We do only what we want to do. We hide in other people's houses. We don't answer when we're called to. But yet God is calling for people today. He's calling for hearts today. And if you're a Christian in this room, what he's calling you to do is to help him look. He's calling you to help him look. If, if you don't maybe know God in this way yet, what he's doing is he's calling you right now. He's the father on that porch seeing you from a long way off, and he's got a robe, a ring, and sandals. I know those sound weird, but they're good things. He's got life for you, life more abundant. He's desperately seeking for you. Jesus came to live on this earth as a baby and as a man as in his ministry simply for this one reason above all else, I believe, is to seek and save that which was lost, which were his family, people, humanity. And then when he gathers his family in, he doesn't just gather them in for that purpose. He gathers us in so that we can help the search party. So that we can realize that as we go about our daily lives, that there are people desperately lost, needing to know a God who's looking for them. That isn't trying to get them 
to get their life straight first and then come to church or look all perfect and then you can come close to God. No, simply from a long way off, he will come running to you. I think he wants to come running to some people this morning. Romans 8. Verse 12. Or verse 15. It says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. And I love this because Paul is honestly referring back to this this story when he writes this. Because you see that the son came home thinking he was just going to be a slave or a servant. But Paul's saying, you didn't receive a mindset just to be servants and slaves. It says, no, instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And my wife and I have adopted two kids. And I can tell you sincerely, God has shown me through that process what he actually acts like towards us. God wants to adopt us. And I love this because so often we come to religion just looking for a God or even a king. And we, and those words are kind of like a distant, relatable word for us. It's like, yeah, your God will hold you up there. But yet God is saying, no, I'm not just your God. I'm not just your king. I'm actually your dad. I'm your father. You aren't just servants and slaves and parishioners and Christians. You're actually children. And he says, stop, stop staying at this distance from me. Stop keeping away from me, but come in close. Come home to me is what God is calling us to do. It says, he re- when you adopted us as his own children, now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Why don't we stand this morning? Every one of us is God's children. Some of us are estranged. Some of us are distant. Some of us are running hard away. Some of us are close at home. But almost all of us need to come home a little bit more. Some of us need to turn our lives around and maybe just start heading in the direction of God. And I promise you, he'll meet you right where you're at. It's what he's waiting for. It's what he's searching for. It's what he's looking for. In this season, as we celebrate Jesus coming to this earth, we've got to remember he came for you and me to seek and save us, to find us where we're at, and to show us the Father's love in a way we've never understood. So we're going to sing a song in just a moment, but I actually, I want to take this moment to give people an opportunity just to say, I want to come home. And that's the way I wanted to say it today because I really believe that's God's invitation. We we call it salvation. We, we call it reconciling with God. We have lots of words for it, being born again. All those things are true, but honestly, it's the simplest notion of 
do you want to come home today? Maybe you're in this room, maybe you're watching online. And I'm going to pray. But I want to ask right now, if you're in this place and you want to come home, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Right where you're at. It's a simple step of actually saying, God, I want to turn and look to you. I want to come home. We want to pray for you. Maybe you're, maybe you know God, maybe you're on your way home. But you're like, Jesus, I want to come a little closer. I think I want to pray for you today. Because Jesus is calling us all back home with him. I'm going to pray right now and then we're going to worship. Father, I ask right now that every person in this room that is saying, God, I want to come home, that you would draw their hearts right now, God, even as we've talked about this message, God, that even there'd be this recognition of just being able to say, you know what, I am lost. I'm not doing good on my own in life. I, I need to be found. So, Father, we thank you that you have found us this morning. For people who are in their homes right now, watching online, God, I pray right now that you would find them right where they're at, that you draw their hearts back home to you. And Jesus, for those of us who have found our way home and maybe we've held you at an arm's length, God, we want to come in closer, but God, we also want to remember we're here to help with the search. God, that you came to seek and save that which was lost, which means we are called to seek and save that which is lost. So Father, I pray right now for every person that wants to draw close to you, that you draw them in. You know, I want, I want to ask right now, every person online, every person in this room, can we all just whisper these words to him? Jesus, I want to come home. Jesus, I want to come home to you. Father, we want to come home to you. See, God, we thank you that you search, that you seek, and that you find every one of us. And God, we ask right now that you would continue to do that work in our families, in this region, in this town, and in the north country, God, that this would be a place where many people are found and come home to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship to the song.
scriptures from cover to cover tell us about a God who goes to great lengths to restore that which was lost. What a great reminder just to see how far the God of heaven, the God that created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, how far he will go for a relationship with you and me. And then we get to be a part of that, of showing that. And as we reflect on the Christmas story that Jesus came and was born in a manger so that he could live among us and show us what God is like. To see how passionate he is about you and me and every person. And Colossians, I love how it says that God reconciled all things through Jesus, reconciled all things back to God. Every person God is reaching for, every one of us. Let's be reminded of that this week, that, it's, that as we look at the baby Jesus, that he came and lived this life so that he could be restored, so that you could be restored, so that all of us could be restored. Let's, let's put our lives in perspective this week. I love this challenge to put life in perspective, to put our thoughts, our, our, our habits, our religion, our, our faith into perspective for what really matters this week. Jesus, we thank you that you came. God, we thank you that we can celebrate you. God, we thank you that we can be a part of showing you to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. There'll be a group of us in the welcome room for a meet and greet. We'd love to meet you after the service. And also, uh, Friday night, Christmas Eve here, 6 o'clock. If you're not able to make it to that one, we'll be in Ogdensburg on Thursday night. 
at 7 o'clock at the Freight House. So Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.